President Joe Biden promises Ukraine will get U.S. support despite aid being cut from a last-minute bill to keep the government open. We cannot, under any circumstance, allow American support for Ukraine to be interrupted. I fully expect the Speaker to keep his commitment to secure passage and support needed to help Ukraine as they defend themselves against aggression and brutality. Plus, bittersweet homecoming for Ukrainians choosing to return to towns liberated from Russian occupation. Life is coming back and uh, definitely it's like around half of all of people came back. So definitely less people present at those territories, but still there is a hope for Ukraine. And later in the program, how the U.S. Forest Service is supporting Ukrainian firefighters. Today is Monday, October 2nd. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. President Joe Biden said Sunday that American aid to Ukraine will keep flowing for now as he seeks to reassure allies of continued U.S. financial support for the war effort. Congress averted a government shutdown by passing a short-term funding package late Saturday that dropped assistance for Ukraine in the battle against Russia. You can count on our support. We will not walk away. The vast majority of both parties, I'll say it again, Democrats and Republicans, Senate and House, support helping Ukraine and the brutal aggression that is being thrust upon them by Russia. Stop playing games. Get this done. Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says the Senate will come back to address funding for Ukraine. Most Senate Republicans remain committed to helping our friends on the front lines, to investing more heavily in American strength, that reinforces our allies and deterring our top strategic adversary, China. I'm confident the Senate will pass further urgent assistance to Ukraine later this year. Still, many lawmakers acknowledge that winning approval for Ukraine assistance in Congress is growing more difficult as the war grinds on. Republican resistance to the aid has been gaining momentum. Following the turmoil in the U.S. Congress, European Union foreign ministers held their first ever meeting outside the bloc, meeting in Kyiv as a show of solidarity for Ukraine. Associated Press correspondent Charles de Ledesma reports. The foreign ministers from the EU's 27 member countries have converged on the Ukrainian capital for an unannounced informal meeting that officials say would review the bloc's support for Ukraine and discuss President Vladimir Zelensky proposed peace formula. The US, the EU and the UK have provided massive support to Ukraine, enabling it to stand up to the Kremlin's attack. But uncertainty has set in over how long Kiev's allies will keep sending it billions of dollars. I'm Charles Zeledesma. Speaking in Kyiv after meeting with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, the EU's top diplomat, Josep Borrell, said European officials were surprised by the last-minute agreement in Washington and pledged the 27-nation bloc would carry on helping the invaded country defeat Russia. This war is having deep consequences for the whole world, but for us Europeans, it's an existential threat. Maybe it's not being seen like this for everybody around the world, but for us, Europeans, allow me to repeat it, it's an existential threat. Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitro Kuleba, says the Ukrainian government is confident, though, that the U.S. Congress will make sure support for the fight against Russia continues. We don't feel that the U.S. support has been shattered. 
and uh, we, because uh, the United States understands that what is at stake in Ukraine is much bigger than just Ukraine. It's about the stability and uh, predictability of the world. The EU leader meeting comes after a pro-Russian candidate who promised to end support for Ukraine won an election in EU member Slovakia. VOA's Kim Lewis has the story. The three-time former Prime Minister FICO's SMER-SSD party won almost 23% of the vote, more than any other party, after campaigning on a mandate to end military aid to Ukraine. A government led by FICO would see NATO member Slovakia joining Hungary and challenging the EU's consensus on support for Ukraine. It would also signal a further shift in the region against political liberalism, which will once again be tested when Poland goes to the polls later this month. Kim Lewis, VOA News. And joining us now is Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, lots to talk about today. First, I want to just ask if you have anything more on reaction following the U.S. Congress pulling aid for Ukraine from the funding bill to keep the U.S. government open. Uh, well, we have a reaction from the Ukrainian foreign ministry and the spokesman of the ministry, uh, Mr. Nikolenko, uh, said that the situation with the temporary U.S. budget will not affect the announced aid to Ukraine. He also mentioned and emphasized that uh, a potential shutdown in the U.S. could negatively affect the implementation of current programs in Ukraine. But currently, Ukraine is actively working with the, with the American side in order to make sure that a new budget will be worked out within the next 45 days includes new funds to help Ukraine. All of this happening in the U.S. while Sunday in Ukraine marked a big day. Defenders Day is a pretty pretty big deal there. Yes, on October October 1st, uh, Ukraine marked the Defenders Day, which is a very important holiday for Ukrainians and uh, also it shares a date with a big religious holiday. What's important here that this day Ukrainians basically say thank you to Ukrainian soldiers and uh, defenders who are currently fighting on the front line. And President Zelensky also had certain official events happening in order to honor Ukrainian soldiers who gave their lives for Ukraine during this war, this 10 years uh, war. Also, Ukrainian president on the occasion of, of the Day of Defenders said in his speech that it's extremely important for Ukraine to understand for the whole world that Ukraine will never again face the future of its children children and its sovereignty for phantom promises of peace. So this was kind of also a comment regarding, you know, this future peace deal. Uh, President Zelensky also mentioned, I will quote, that Ukraine has historically the greatest support of the world and never again will Ukraine pay the future of its children, its sovereignty and its will for illusory promises of peace. Ukraine has made historic conclusions, he said. This was probably the main message on this day from the president. Let's turn now to what we've been hearing about uh, Ukraine's regaining territory that was occupied by Russia. My understanding is that in some regions, people are actually going back to where they live. Uh, well, yes. As we discussed recently, uh, Ukraine had certain success in the Parisia region and previously in Kherson region. If we look back uh, to the last year, uh, the biggest victory for Ukrainian counteroffensive was the liberation of Kharkiv region. And of course, if we look at uh, 
well, almost a year ago, uh, even more than a year ago, liberation, the first liberated territories were uh, in the Kyiv region, Chernihiv region and Sumer region. So now we're talking about quite a numerous amount of regions and qu- quite a huge territory. Also, what's interesting that the representative of the president office confirmed that more than one million people have been returned to these liberated territories in total. And also Almost 14,000 businesses have renewed their operation, which definitely creates a huge hope for Ukraine, of course, and a huge hope for the generation. I had a chance to talk to those people who returned to Kharkiv region when it was liberated, and all of them are telling quite similar stories that it's quite a new reality for them, a new normal for them. So they are able to be back home, they rebuild their home, because most of them lost their physical home but children started school uh, in September it's online of course but they have a chance also to meet time to time and to you know to study to socialize people create new businesses as well uh, according to the to new realities and new needs of those who live in that or other region and also you know governmental organizations are back operating and uh, hospitals at this point are due, at the rebuilding stage Uh, Some territories have mobile hospitals present, but still life is coming back. And uh, definitely it's like around half of all of people came back. So definitely less people present at those territories, but still there is a hope for Ukraine. Are people at all concerned about something escalating again while they're rebuilding their lives? Well, if we talk about Kharkiv region, uh, I ask this particular questions to people, uh, question to people, and they say that they believe uh, that uh, they are safe. Uh, particularly, I'm talking now about the city of Izum, which is very close to. Uh, it's it's like the, the last city before the b- before Donetsk region starts, and um, uh, this city was under occupation, Russian occupation for ha- for for more than half a year. And people believe that they are safe. They do not see um, new occupation coming or you know, um, Russian troops coming back. However, they live under very high risk because the shelling around is happening uh, very intensive. And the city itself at this point is uh, is not that, that uh, is not shelled that much. However, around, uh, well, fightings are happening and at least uh, in the Donetsk region, which is very close, but people do not see risks of occupation coming back. If we talk about Donetsk region, uh, well, people understand that uh, it could happen again, but they want to be at home. Well, that's completely understandable for sure. You know, let's hope for the best that they're able to rebuild their lives and more regions will soon be able to do the same. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. We thank you so much as always. Thank you. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. With multiple investigations into Russia's aggression as potential crimes against humanity, beyond investigations, Ukrainians want justice. VOA's Ukrainian service Maria Prus spoke with Andriy Kostin, prosecutor general of Ukraine, who shared details about his meetings and cooperation with the U.S. Department of Justice and FBI in prosecuting Russian war criminals. It's important that uh, there could be no... uh peace without justice and uh, every Ukrainian victim and survivor of this war should receive 
his or her matter of justice, starting from the punishment of uh, those who initiated and committed the act of aggression against Ukraine and Ukrainians, meaning highest political and military leadership of Russia, and those who committed all other war crimes in course of this uh, uh, war of aggression. So a uh, combination of these uh, two, uh, two endeavors uh, is extremely important because once again we need to win in both fights. Not only we, Ukraine and Ukrainians, but I think all free world need to win in both fights. That's why uh, the set of um, important events on United Nations General Assembly, um, our delegation uh, uh, with uh, the uh, leaded by our president Zelensky and his strong speeches, his strong, uh, his strong addresses uh, on the UN Security Council, UN uh, General Assembly meeting, uh, all other bilateral meetings and many others uh, held in uh, New York and DC, uh, once again shows us that we are supported that we share the same values, that we are fighting for the same values, and that uh, Ukrainian nation will be assisted, will be backed by all nations of free world in our both endeavors, fighting for our land and fighting for justice. So if you could uh, mention maybe a few of the meetings or a few of the you know, results of, of the events that you took part in. Great meeting between President Zelensky and President Biden. Great meeting, uh, uh, very well prepared, uh, uh, supporting all of our uh, achievements, uh, plans for the future, and uh, once again uh, support substantial, starting from, from munition and ending uh, for a fight for our democracy. My meetings uh, with uh, Attorney General Mary Garland and, and his team. Once again, we, are, uh, we have substantial support now from uh, not only War Crimes Accountability team of uh, Department of Justice but also from Federal Bureau of Investigation. We shared uh, uh, some uh, cases with uh, these two teams, cases uh, which are some of them world known for the, as a matter of Russian atrocities and we are looking forward uh, to, to receive uh, results from this cooperation. For me it's very important that not only Ukraine and not only uh, the ICC as International Judicial Authority uh, will uh, prosecute uh, Russian war criminals. It's important that the other states and especially the United States which have a specific legislation, we have, which have a specific capabilities and which, which have a great commitment to help us and to help Ukrainians will also deliver results in this work. So our work with the DOJ is, is very wide, is very substantial and not only for um, uh, prosecuting uh, war crimes, uh, not only uh, for, um, not only to help us with our top priority cases like uh, forced deportation of Ukrainian children, but also helping us to create uh, practice in spheres which never, uh, uh, which, which never been prosecuted before in history. We are now prosecuting crimes against environment as war crimes. We are approaching prosecuting cyber attacks as war crimes. And just now we have a very good meeting with special uh, team from FBI uh, about uh, prosecuting cases on uh, attacks on cultural heritage and um, illicit trafficking of cultural heritage as war crimes. So we are approaching uh, new and new 
dimensions of uh, crimes committed by Russia in Ukrainians against Ukrainians. And with all of these uh, directions, uh, Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigation and all state authorities are assisting us, not only uh, from the point of view of cooperation in specific cases, but also capacity building, also training of our prosecutors and investigators, because we approaching new avenues we have no right to make a mistake creating new practice we need to, to be sure that the results of our investigations would be credible on international level and uh, will be accepted by international community as as true fair justice our main difference from the aggressor state prosecutor general of ukraine andrei kostin speaking with voa ukrainian services maria Prus. russian president vladimir putin has ordered one of his top commanders of the wagner mercenary group to take charge of voluntary groups fighting in ukraine signaling the kremlin's effort to keep using the mercenaries after the death of their chief yevgeny Prigozhin. nigerian journalist philippe obaji jr has for years investigated the actions of the wagner group in africa it's a beat that comes with challenges. VOA's Christina Saicedo-Smith has the story. As an investigative journalist in Nigeria, Philip Obaji Jr. has covered a lot over the years, including extremist groups, human trafficking, and abuse of civil liberties. But one story really captured the attention of this reporter for the Daily Beast, Russia's Wagner Group in West Africa. And even with the death of its, uh, its founder, Evgeny Prigozhin, there's still so much around this group that we haven't spoken about that we need to tell the world about. Obaji will continue his reporting on the mercenary organization through a Jim Hogue Reporting Fellowship, awarded by the International Center for Journalists, or ICFJ. The ICFJ honor Obaji and other journalists in Washington late September. Alison Grossom is program director at the International Center for Journalists. So these journalists have different approaches to telling really interesting stories, um, often about communities that are undercovered in the regular media. Obaji's interest in Wagner Group started in 2018, when three Russian journalists were killed on a remote road in the Central African Republic. The trio was investigating the activities of Russian military contractors in the area. Philip Obaji is an investigative journalist in Nigeria. And I wanted to really know exactly what this group was doing in, in that country, and so that's why and I picked up interest. And each time I ask questions, there's always another question to ask because I get answers that really leaves gaps in between. But covering such a story has its risks. I mean, three Russian journalists went to investigate and then they got killed. Local journalists will try to investigate or ask questions about the Wagner group and I get uh, disappeared or somehow uh, targeted by whether it's Wagner uh, government forces. The non-profit press freedom organization Reporters Without Borders describes the Central African Republic as a dangerous place where journalists are often the targets of threats and violence and subject to pressure from both armed groups and authorities. That coverage is hardly there in the country because of fear. Yeah, so, but there are brave local journalists who try to work you know, anonymously with um, the, the foreign media to help this get up. With many journalists fearful of covering sensitive issues and sources scared to go on record, reporting on groups like Wagner, it's tough. So, 
fellowships like the one Obaji received can help reporters cover difficult stories and reach wider audiences. Alison Grossom of the International Center for Journalists. It is a really interconnected and global society and what happens in Africa or what happens in South America have ramifications on how we choose to act and what we choose to support and how we want to move forward as a global community. After his brief visit to Washington, Obaje returns to Nigeria to continue his work on a long-form project focused on the Wagner Group. Cristina Caicedo-Smith, VOA News, Washington. Russian President Vladimir Putin has signed a decree calling up 130,000 conscripts for statutory military service this fall, increasing the conscripts' age from 27 to 30, according to a document posted on the Russian government website on Friday. The All-Ukrainian Environmental League is a grassroots organization that's been operating since 1997, and as part of its portfolio, it trains volunteers to fight wildfires. But since the war started, the firefighters' responsibilities have expanded. Tatiana Kurika has the story narrated by Anna Rice. Okay, this one is mine. Special vests, helmets and gloves. Volunteer firefighters here in the Rasosha community in the Khmelnytsky region of Ukraine are trying on firefighter gear gifted to them by the U.S. Forest Service. Thanks to the U.S. Forest Service, we were able to get some vital equipment like motor pumps, chainsaws, walkie-talkies and specialized coats, boots, gloves and helmets for all the volunteer firefighters. The Rasosha community is made up of 26 villages and is home to 11,000 people. It's where the All-Ukrainian Environmental League, together with the U.S. Forest Service, is starting a community-based forest fire protection system. We are very grateful to the U.S. Forest Service for supporting this project at this time when our country is at war during Russia's aggression. Seven locals have gone through special training and received volunteer certificates. We need to keep our community safe. I am talking about wildfire prevention, any emergency situations, natural disasters, anything can happen. But we need to be ready to help. And in case something bad happens, we need to help people. The volunteer firefighter movement had started before the war. We started organizing people in volunteer brigades. Now most of those guys are at the front lines. But we had five, seven, maybe eight guys from each community who said they wanted to help us. The All-Ukrainian Environmental League, together with the U.S. Forest Service, helped revive Rasosha's volunteer firefighter movement. Volunteer firefighters are our first helpers. They arrive very quickly if there is a fire. Until the government firefighter truck comes, they can start putting out the fire, maybe eliminate it altogether.
Every year we have over 50 emergencies, fires, accidents. And now, during the war, it's worse. There's constant shelling. Our people need to be the first ones at the scene. Diachok says the community hopes to attract more volunteers and organized fire safety classes in schools. The community's biggest dream is a new fire truck, and they hope, with the help from the U.S. Forest Service and the All-Ukrainian Environmental League, their dream will come true soon. You're my sweet darling. Fatatiana Kukurika in the Khmelnytsky region of Ukraine, NRI's VOA News. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.